Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Out of all the subjects we could possibly talk about, uh, today's subject has been the root cause of so much pain. Are you with me? And I'm not trying to say any other subject that we chose has not been. Every Sunday is a Sunday that we pray and that we ask the Lord to go before us. But I want to say today is uniquely sensitive in our culture today. Uh, even if some of you saw it posted, something like, oh, my gosh, they're going to do that. Um, and there's just so many things that are going through our hearts and our minds. And, and I do want to say that today's subject um, has been the root cause of so much pain. It's been the root cause of so much um, confusion. Um, and I want to ask your fa- a favor of you before we start. Is it okay? Uh, just uh, just a, a favor. And here's the favor I want to ask of you. Um, would you please with, just do your best, try your best today to resist the temptation to assume what I'm going to say? I just, would you just kind of just resist that for a moment? And would you trust me to navigate through this topic with clarity and grace? In fact, I've just been praying, and that's what's on my heart. Like, I'm not here to do anything else but just move through this subject with clarity and with grace. Those are the two things. And I want to let the Lord do what he does. I don't want to get in the way of him, but I just want to be clear, and I want to be graceful and gracious. So with that being said, as I pray for you, will you pray for me in this moment? Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we are utterly dependent upon you every Sunday morning. Without your words, without your love, without your grace and truth, we are just clanging symbols, talking out of the side of our mouths. But with you, with your grace and with your love, um, Lord, there, there's, there's just uh, hope for unity. There's hope for um, clarity. And so, Lord, I I pray for the hearts and minds in this room. I pray if there's anyone feeling restless, there's anyone feeling anxious, um, if there's anyone who maybe even assuming what's going to be said, I understand. Pray for any hurts, any church hurts in this place, um, any wounds that have been hurt by leaders and churches who have tried to talk about this subject without grace. Um, I I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you could because I cannot. And so I totally lean on you in this moment. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a list of resources, okay? Uh, I've been studying some resources and um, going through some things, going through some readings and things like that. So I'm going to give you a list of resources and a list of names and resources. So if you yourself would like to go back and take a look at some of these resources for yourself, um, totally um, up to you. Uh, but I just want to make sure I want to make that available to you. I want you to know that today's sermon has been birthed out of prayer. It's been birthed out of study, but it has been birthed out of a, a lot of resources that I've been looking at because there are just some areas um, that I feel like I fall really short in. Um, in being able to um, talk about. I'm not a, I am not an expert in any sense of the word. And so I just want to kind of give you uh, some of those resources. I know um, Christopher Yuan 
I wrote a book called Holy Sexuality. It's a really powerful book, a really loving book, a really good book to read. Um, he's been a major source of today's um, conversation and message that I'll talk with you today. Um, Rosaria Butterfield is another um, amazing resource. Um, she wrote a book called Confessions of an Unlikely Convert. Um, Jackie Hill Perry, uh, she's a poet. Um, she wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good Girl. It actually came out maybe a little less than a year ago, a little over a year ago. Uh, David Bennett um, wrote a book called War of Loves. Um, and then finally, Sam Alberry, um, Is God Anti-Gay? That's the question. Um, that, that, that's the name of his book. I'll talk about a provocative book. Is God Anti-Gay? And so I just kind of wanted to make sure you guys kind of see that. If you want to take a snapshot of that, it's totally fine. If you want to reach out to um, inbox us and inspire churches, any of our social media, um, or email us, we'd love to send you those resources if you missed it. Um, but I definitely wanted to make sure um, I, I gave credit where credit was due as I was kind of uh, wrestling through this myself. Um, so here's something really important. If you don't take note of anything, uh, write this down. This is so important. Write this down here. Um, what we believe, right? in other words, our worldview, our worldview. Our worldview is the framework in which we see everything, right? What we believe will define who we are, right? And honestly, as I was thinking through this, like this might be the last statement that all of us in here can agree on, right? Like there's going to be all of us in here are going to be following different places. This might be one statement that we all can agree on here. What we believe will define who we are. In other words, our worldview will always define our identity. You with me? And who we are will determine what we do. You see that? So what we believe, there's kind of a logical progression here. What, what I believe will define who I am. And then who I am will determine what I do. And, and, and again, there's nothing terrible in this. It's, it's, there, it's not uniquely one way or another. This is just a truth statement. I think all of us in here, was, no matter where you land on several spectrums in life, it's all going to be based on what you believe. Amen? And so your worldview will determine your identity, and then your identity will always inform your behavior. Okay? I want to read you a definition uh, of sexual orientation uh, from the American Psychological Association, APA. They define sexual orientation like this. An enduring pattern of emotional, romantic, and or sexual attractions to men, women, or both sexes. Sexual orientation also refers to a person's sense of identity, that's a key word, based on those attractions, related behaviors, and membership in a community of those who share those attractions. You guys got that? Now, according to the gaycenter.org, uh, the LGBTQ is defined as an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer or the q could also stand for questioning so just kind of unsure where you stand right now so you're going through the process of kind of making that determination uh, these terms um, are used to describe a person's sexual orientation right sexual orientation is also synonymous with or gender identity okay their sexual orientation or their gender identity 
So when it comes to the question of identity, that's the key word. When it comes to the question of identity or, or who am I, we, we all have asked that question, right? We all ask, like, who am I? Why am I here? We've all asked that question. Some find their identity in their families. Um, some find their identity in their culture, right? You ever see somebody that's like super over the top about their culture? Like it's tatted, it's, their, it's in their outfits, it's in the way they talk. It's like super find their identity in their culture. Um, others find their identity in their careers. Um, but here's what I want to know. Is there a difference between who I am and what I do? Right? Is there a difference between who I am and what I do? Now, I think here's the more critical question that kind of flows out of all of this. Am I my sexual preference? Or is there something that transcends my sexual attractions that defines me? Okay, it's real simple. Am I, in the core of my identity, am I my sexual preference? Or is there something that transcends my sexual attractions that defines me, right? In other words, ready? What do I believe? Because what you believe will determine who you are, right? So your, your worldview will determine your identity. So the first question is, well, what do I believe? What, what do I believe? Now, according to the APA, the American uh, Psychological Association and uh, GayCenter.org, according to them, uh, gender identity or sexual orientation, based on their definition, um, according to them, we are our sexual preference, okay? So let's go back a little bit. Where, where and I'm going to do my best to represent sides. I did some studies. So where did this idea of sexual orientation, or it's also called gender identity, come from? Where did it come from? So let me give you just a little history of this worldview. Um, where did it come from? Well, prior to the 18th century, okay, sexuality was understood as a behavior, okay? It was a behavior, something we do. But in the 19th century, uh, the concept of sexual orientation or sexual identity began to emerge. It's who I am, right? So prior to the 18th century, sexual identity was, uh, uh, well, there wasn't sexual orientation identity. It's actually just sexual, my sexual preference is what I do. But in the 19th century, it went from what I do to my identity, who, who I am. Now, this idea was birthed out of German romanticism. In fact, we talked a little bit about that at Theology and Coffee. Um, this idea was birthed out of German Romanticism. And what is German It's a worldview or a philosophy that for the first time in the history of human ideas suggested that how we feel should determine and legitimize how we think. Right? So German Romanticism was this worldview or this philosophy that, well, I am how I feel. Are you with me? Now, it's from German Romanticism. It's from that worldview where we got psychologists like Sigmund Freud. Everybody learn about good old Siggy? All right. Sigmund Freud. If you took any type of psychology class, you'll know Sigmund Freud. Now, Sigmund Freud came up with the concept of sexual orientation or gender idea. That was a concept that he came up with. And, and it introduced us, and he introduced us to terms 
that flow out of that concept that categorize people according to their sexual attractions. So from Freud, we get this whole idea of sexual orientation. And from sexual orientation, we get categories of LGBTQ. And there's actually LGBTQI, which stands for intersex, right? So you get these different um, categories of people according to their sexual attractions. Now, this is really key. Freud wrote that homosexuality was just another variety of humanity, okay? Thus, heterosexuality and homosexuality became new categories for personhood, aka identity, gender identity. Are you with me? Now, with that in mind, let's, let's, let's summarize a Freudian worldview and put that alongside what I believe is a Christian worldview, okay? So let's put them alongside one another. Again, here's what I kind of want to say. This morning, this is not about anything else but taking a look at what these worldviews believe and how they logically progress down. And at the end of the day, you can determine kind of where you're landing. Amen? Amen? All right. So let's take a look at the Freudian worldview alongside of a Christian worldview. Those are two different worldviews, two different frameworks in which we see life. I called the first one, the gospel according to Freud and his secular worldview. Now, secular is not a bad word. I know, oh my gosh, secular music, secular, secular. Secular just means it, it's, there's the biblical worldview, and a secular worldview would be outside of the biblical worldview, okay? So again, please get the terms. So the gospel according to Freud and his secular worldview, here it is. I am how I feel, and what defines me as a person is my sexual preference, Okay, this is, no, this is Freudian. Now, you might fall somewhere not Christian, not Freudian, somewhere in the but this is what came from Freud. I am how I feel, and what defines me as a person is my sexual preference. You see, for Freud, this is key. The difference between, and this is something that he actually um, he, he gave to this conversation. For Freud, the difference between humanity and the animal kingdom is that mankind has a desire to have sex non-procreatively. In other words, we have sex recreationally. And for Freud, that was the major difference between hum- mankind and the animal kingdom. Are you with me? And that's well documented. That is Freud. Now, now that we've kind of heard the gospel of Freud and his secular worldview, what's the gospel according to Christianity and its biblical worldview, okay? Here it is. Whereas Freud would say, I am how I feel, the Bible would teach, I am a child of God, which means that there's something greater than my sexual attractions that must define me. Again, this is how Christians think. So if you're not a Christian here today, at the very least, you can say, okay, this is how they think, okay? And the goal is to, like, demonster everybody, okay? Like, I mean, there's a lot of us that are sitting in two different sides, two camps that are just totally monstering each other, and the goal really is to take that out of the, of the equation. I just want you to see how people are thinking and what their logical progression of that thought. Are you with me? And don't worry, I have a... Well, we'll get to that in a second. So... Uh, the gospel according to the Christianity of the biblical worldview is that I am a child of God. So if I believe that I'm a child of God, that would mean that there's something right greater than my sexual attractions that define me. So for a Christian now, the difference between humanity and the animal kingdom is not non procreative sex, but is the image of God. Are you with me? 
right? So for Freud and those that would follow Freudian view, right, the difference between humanity and the animal kingdom is that, well, humans have sex for pleasure, where animals don't do that. Well, for a Christian, they would say the difference between the animal kingdom and humanity is that only humanity was created in the image of God. Are you with me? Now, let's put it even simpler. Freud would say, trust your feelings. The Bible would say, trust God. That's, that's just what this is, okay? So if you don't believe in the word of God, you have to believe something else, right? And so ultimately, if you don't believe in the word of God, maybe you have another book that you believe, and that could be part of your religious experience. But for a secular person in a secular worldview, they would say, well, I have to trust something else. I have to trust my feelings. Or, you know, you're trusting Freud, but Freud is telling you you have to trust your feelings. Do you get that? So just put it really simple. Again, I'm not trying to put any weight on either or. I'm just giving you this information. Freud would say, trust your feelings. The Bible would say, trust God. Are we good? Now, if you're a Christian, and again, this may not apply to all of you in this room because some of us may not be a Christian. Some of us may be just seeking. Some of us may be in a a stage in our lives where we're unsure. So this doesn't apply to everybody here. But if you're a Christian, rejecting your inherent identity as an image bearer of God and replacing it with what you feel or what you do would not just be rebellion against your original design, but it would be a rebellion against the one who you believe designed you. Are you with me? If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you go, that's not me. Okay. But if you're a Christian, right, you would believe that if I reject my inherent identity as image bearer of God, and I replace that with, well, how I feel or what I do, what you would be doing, according to Scripture, is you would not only just be rebelling away to the, uh, rebelling from the way you were originally designed, but in doing that, you'd also be rebelling from the one who designed you. That's how a Christian would think. Now, if you think about it, let's just pull out of this particular conversation regarding these two communities. If you think about it, let's just talk about humanity as a whole. Um, was it that the essence of the first sin in the Garden of Eden... It's the root of every sin. What do I mean by that? Humanity's greatest issue is not our sinful behaviors. And there's a lot of you in this room, if I asked you, like, hey, man, what are your sins? You would think of all these behaviors. Well, I lost. Oh, I cheat. I did. You would begin to just rattle off a bunch of behaviors because, unfortunately, that's what some brands of Christianity has taught you. But I want you to know that your, your greatest issue and my greatest issue is not our sinful behaviors, but it's our unbelieving hearts. See, beyond the behavior is a heart that is struggling to believe. This is about belief. So and here's why I want you to listen. We don't believe, and again, this is for, we don't believe that God really knows best, right? Or that the word of God, the Bible is not really God's word. Instead, we determine to lead our lives based on what we want and what we feel rather than what God has said, right? This doesn't just, it's not sexuality. This is everything, right? And so this is not a battle of should I do this behavior or should I not? This is a battle. Do I trust God's word or do I trust my own? You guys feel that, right? We all feel this. And if you're in here like, I don't feel that, well, then you're a religious bigot, which is half our problem as a church. So when it comes to specifically human sexuality, for the Christian, the question is, well, what has God said? Because I believe 
in God, and I believe that I'm an image bearer of God, and if I'm an image bearer of God, then I believe that there's something outside of my sexual preference that defines me, and that would be the word of God. And so what does God's word say as I wrestle through this? What does God's word say? Uh, Christopher Yuan writes this, um, before, and this is for Christians, and again, if you're not a Christian, this is a great opportunity for you just to kind of see. Uh, before we can understand human sexuality, as a Christian, we must first understand biblical anthropology. Okay? And what does that mean? Or uh, biblical anthropology is simply this. What has God said about humanity? Like, what does God say about humanity? Okay? Now, he says two things. Are you ready for this? Well, he says more than two things. He says a lot of things. But there are two things about biblical anthropology that um, Christopher Yuan would want you to know, and I would agree with this. He says two things. Number one, first he says, you were made in my image. <laughs> You're my child, made in my image. I long to have a relationship with you, but the first thing we say is, you were made, all mankind, all of humanity were made in his image. Guess what? No matter what you believe in this room, you were made in the image of God. All of you. All of you. If you don't believe me, go back to the beginning. Genesis 1, 27 says this, according to the scriptures, right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. So it's not just, well, male is the image of God, you know? Female, you just got to submit. No, male and female, both created in the image of God. Are you with me? Are you with me on that? What does that mean? What is the implications of that? And again, I'm gonna, we're surveying this. Like, I don't have the time in one message to go just into the depths of this. But in this survey, I'm just hopefully creating an understanding for you in this room. Amen? What does that mean, being created in the image of God? Well, every part of humanity was meant to reflect God. Everyone in this room, you were created to reflect God. Every part of you. Every part of you. You were made to glorify him above all else. If you're a Christian, this is what you believe. Even our gender distinctions, did you catch that? Because God is actually, there was a binary connection in there, male and female. Even our gender distinctions, right, reflect, ready? They reflect the unity and diversity within the Trinity, which is a mystery. It's so hard to understand the Trinity. In fact, we did a theology and coffee a couple of weeks ago on the Trinity, and, and we still had more questions. I feel like when you do the Trinity, you talk about things like that, you leave and you're like, oh, I don't even know. I think I'm, I don't know, right? And sometimes we know that scripture, when you try to overdo scripture and overexplain it, you fall into heresy. So there's just some things about God that are a mystery, but there are things that God has created that reflect that mystery. We can't see it clearly, and we will one day when we are, when we are put off sin and we are in the presence of the Lord, but for right now, we see it dimly. So God creates nature and creates humanity to give us little types and shadows and signs of the beauty of his wonder. And so here we have in male and female a unity, but also a diversity that uniquely reflects the Trinity. Again, Christopher Yuan puts it like this. As hard as someone tries to alter that reality within his or her own body, right? Male and female. As hard as someone tries to alter that reality within his or her own body, the most that can be done is to artificially remove or augment body parts or use pharmaceuticals to unnaturally suppress the biological realities of one's essence as male or female. And again, you might fall in a different category here, but the, the truth of the biological realities is there. 
But, so the truth is this. Ready? We're all made in God's image. Amen? But, but when we deny his image and its biological realities, right, we, we are allowing how we feel to determine who we are, right? And the question is, why do we do this, right? Why is it so difficult for us to trust God? Like, why is it so difficult for me to trust his words, why do we do this? Why is it? Well, I mean, it's, anyone in here would know if you've just lived a certain amount of time in your life, you've been betrayed. You've been hurt. Some of you in here, it's like, I, it's not even God I can't trust. I can't even trust my own mom and dad. And the people that I'm supposed to be able to trust, at some point, they've stabbed me on the back. My life has just been a pathway of destruction and trust. I mistrust. I mistrust. And so I've developed this hardness that the only person I can trust is myself. Right? And so it's not hard for you. Like, why do we do? It's not hard for you to say, well, how am I going to trust a guy? I can't see. I can't feel. I can't taste. Like, how am I going to trust this guy in the sky? And it makes it even harder to trust this guy in the sky when most of the, his people that I run into are terrible people. Like, I, I look at some Christians and I'm like, hello, <laughs> you have Jesus, right? You've been filled with the Holy Spirit, Right? Right? Why does your life look terrible? And I get it. I don't want to be condemning, right? Like, here's the real thing is that what a Christian, the reason why a Christian should say, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I'm a Christian or not. Life can be terrible. Here's the problem, though. Because the church wants to come in and play church and nobody wants to really share what's really going on, it makes somebody in here feel terrible because their life's really terrible. But, you know. What do we say? Sister Watermelon, right? Or Sister Happy Go Lucky. Oh, praise God. Everything is great. So it's like, no, you're not being honest. We go in our little small groups and we talk about things, but we don't really share our sins. Right? We're living in our own. And we talked about we're living in our own righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. No wonder why people don't. No wonder why people are just like, well, you know, I guess everything's good over there. But wait a minute. It don't look good. So there's a problem here. So I'm not going to trust that because it hasn't done nothing for you. So the truth is that we're all made in God's image. But when we deny his image, right, when we deny those biological realities, what we're doing is we're allowing how we feel to determine who we are. And again, if you fall under Freudian worldview, then that's your ultimate source. But if you're a Christian, you have to say, you know what, my ultimate source to define me is not my sexuality, but it is the God who transcends that sexuality. And so what does he say? Not that what I say. So again, right, we said that. The question is, why do we do this? Why is it so hard for us to trust? Well, I'll tell you why. Two things God tells us in biblical anthropology. Are you ready for this? Number one is you were made in the image of God, all of you. And number two, God tells you that even though you were created in his image, his image has been distorted by sin. It's been distorted by sin. That's what his word tells us. And guess what? All of you have been distorted by sin. There's no one in here like, well, I haven't been touched by it. Look at me. You're a liar. You're a liar. And you're the reason why the witness of Christ, one of the reasons why the witness of Christ is not as compelling as it needs to be because you're misrepresenting him. So God tells us that you were made in my image, but sin has distorted that image. Can I say something really quickly? 
again, there is this actuality about what a Christian should believe and then what a Christian actually does sometimes, right? Or what they really believe is themselves. So there's, but can I say this? As a Christian, because you believe that everyone was made in God's image, we should be the most loving people on the planet. Do you see that? Like, if you believe that everyone was made in God's image, it doesn't matter your race, your color, your religion, your sexual preference. If everyone's made in God's image, everyone at the very least deserves dignity and respect. And can I just say this just right now? You and I can profoundly disagree with one another but still love each other. We can't. We really can't. I promise you. I know something like, I don't know. And I get it. I get that mistrust. I get that pain. And, but I'm also speaking to the church like we should be. Um, the greatest foundation of social justice should be the fact that everyone's created in the image of God. That should propel our social justice. So why are we going out then as a church? Right? So, so before we go and fix someone else's backyard, we got a whole backyard that's a mess. That's part of the problem here right? Jesus said it himself. You can't go and tell somebody, hey, you got a speck in your eye. You got a fat log in your own eye. Just damages the witness. God tells us that even though you've been created as an image bearer, that image, my image has been distorted by sin. Let me just read to you Romans 5, 12. It says this, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. See that there? All sinned. Ephesians 4, 17 through 18 says this, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. I want to make four brief observations regarding sin. And again, I went through the image of God, and I, didn't, I barely scratched the surface. Again, we don't have enough time to go through all of these, but I'm just doing my best to give you a generalized understanding so you can walk out of here at very least understanding um, what this Christian worldview regarding the LGBTQI community is really all about. So I want to make four brief observations regarding sin. Are you ready? Here's the first one. And I better get a loud amen for this. Nobody is innocent. The Bible, I don't know if you caught it, but it said all. All sinned. All sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. So number one, nobody's innocent. Are you ready? Number two, not only is nobody innocent, but sin affects the entire of humanity. And what I mean by the entirety of humanity, not just everybody, but all of me. All of me, I'm your pastor right now in this church, and I am totally corrupted by sin. And that's another thing. We place our leaders too high on a pedestal. I am totally corrupted by sin. I have a sin nature. So number one, nobody is innocent. Second, sin affects us totally. The Bible teaches that sin has, and if you saw that in what I was reading, sin has done what? It's darkened our minds, right? And it's hardened our hearts. As a result, every part of my humanity has been corrupted by sin nature. What do I mean by every part? This means my psychology, my biology, my sexuality, the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I think. Every part of me has been corrupted by sin nature. That's what scripture teaches us. Third, I love this hope. Did you notice sin has only distorted God's image? 
but it hasn't destroyed it. Mm. Sin, thank you, Jesus. Sin has only distorted God's image, but it has not destroyed it. This means that even though sin can describe how I, I am or what I do, it cannot define me. It's only distorted, but it hasn't destroyed the image of God, which means it can describe how I am, and it, but it can't describe who I am. And as a follower of Christ, as a follower of Christ, this is me personally, I'm going to be passionate about this, but don't mistake this passion for anger or anything else. As a follower of Christ, I'm less concerned about what Darwin has said. I'm less concerned about what Freud has said. And no, I don't want to put my head in the sand and not listen to science and not have dialogue with intelligent individuals who've come to difference of opinions. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying as a follower of Christ, like I'm not ultimately concerned with Darwin or with Freud. I'm most concerned with what God has said in his scripture, in his scripture, in his scripture. And finally, finally, here's, this is what's so important. So we see that nobody is innocent when it comes to sin. We also see that sin has affected us in our totality. We also see that sin has only distorted, but has not destroyed. And finally, finally, this we need our eyes to be opened. And when our eyes are opened and we finally grasp the reality of our sin, we can then begin to appreciate the depths of God's love. We cannot appreciate the depths of God's love without an understanding of our sin. Which is why as a follower of Christ, you shouldn't try to avoid that. You should really understand that because how could you appreciate the love of God if you don't know just how short you've fallen? Romans 5, 15 and 19 says this, but the free gift, I love that, free gift, free gift. Any Costco shoppers, don't we like that? Free gift, free gift. I don't even go in there for, to shop. I just, I just troll. No, I patrol. I patrol around the area looking for the free gift. <laughs> but the free gift, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace, the grace, the grace, the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Though death and condemnation came through Adam, Forgiveness and justification comes through Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus, the image of God that was once distorted by sin now begins to enter into a period of restoration. So, kind of a side note here. And again, when it comes to sexual orientation right, or gender identity, pop culture would go as far to tell us that we're born this way. I were born this way. Some of us are born this way. Now, not to get all scientifical, and, but scientifically, there's so much about sexual orientation. We don't understand it at all. 
there's so much that is misunderstood. Like, that, it, that's not a fact. That's just not a proven fact. Sci- just scientific. It's not my, not me per- scientifically, okay? And scientifically, we have so much to know about sexuality. So there's a lot of things we don't know, okay? We're really ignorant when it comes to that. We're ignorant in a lot of things. So even, even if we were born this way, even if we were born this way, right, as a Christian, okay, as a Christian, um, doesn't necessarily make something permissible, right? So we also believe that we are born into sin, but does it make sin permissible for us? This is why Jesus says so compassionately, yet so boldly, and this is the life that I strive to live for myself. If you know me, some of y'all know me, uh, and I, I fail, I fail on both sides, especially if you know me, you've seen me fail in this area probably many times. But this is why Jesus would say so compassionately, yet so boldly, ready in John 3, 7, like you must be born again. You must be born again. So even if you feel like you're born a particular way and it's understandable, Jesus would say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? What it means to be born again is to be be rebirthed by the Holy Spirit as a new creature struggling through this world, but in that new creature being defined by what God says not by what anyone else would say or what I would say, and I get it. But Jesus says, you must be born again, and that's an impossibility because Nicodemus is like, well, and this is going to be a little weird, but Nicodemus is like, what is it, born again? Like, you know, I'm like a grown man. How do I get back in there, right? That's an, that could be, but this is what Nicodemus is saying. This is what, read it. And Jesus say, no, it's spirit of water, spirit and water, right? It's the salvation, your faith in Christ, your baptism, Amen? And then the Holy Spirit does something that you just don't understand, you don't get. You try to explain, but you fall short. And you're born again. You're born again. Now, as followers of Christ, again, as a Christian, here's what, here's what we believe. Our identity, and I'm saying this again, is not defined by our sexual attractions, but our identity is in Christ Mm. as children and image bearers of God. Therefore, our sexuality is not defined by the Freudian terms of heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, but is determined by the terms of God. Ready for this? And this is the part that I think is super important, which is holy sexuality. Some of y'all thought I was going to say heterosexuality, didn't you? (laughs) Holy sexuality. Mm. That's the goal. Holy sexuality. Look at what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 10. <laughs> There's a part of me like, this is the word of God, okay? You know, like, not me, but the word of God. But yes, I believe this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor drunkards. You were here a couple weeks ago. Nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. There's that baptism, right? You were sanctified. You were justified, not in your own works, not in your own works. We can't justify ourselves, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, which means it's impossible for you to do this in your own power. 
by his spirit, not by might, nor by power, by his spirit, by his spirit. So when it comes to sexuality, here's where inspire stands. If you, you, you want to know and you've been coming for a while, here's where we stand. I think this is so important. I'm going to rebuke the church in just a little bit, so you're going to see this a little bit more. But here's where inspire stands. Number one, are you ready? Number one, heterosexuality does not equal holy. Heterosexuality does not equal holy. What do I mean by that? In fact, there are all kinds of heterosexual acts that are condemned in the Bible. Acts like rape, incest, fornication, which is sex before marriage, by the way. Adultery and prostitution. Are you ready for some facts? Being a heterosexual does not make you a better Christian. <laughs> it does not make you a better Christian. You see, the goal of every Christ-following man and woman is not hetero, but holy. And you can go back to a series I did maybe last year. We did about five weeks talking about this. Number two, ready? Number one, heterosexuality does not equal holy. Number two, nor does homosexuality equal holy. There are two things I want to make clear here. First, are you ready? Number one, same-sex attraction is not a sin. What do I mean by that? experiencing it or being tempted by it is not a sin. I don't know if you caught that. Paul says only those who practice. Are you, are you there? And, and let's try to keep quiet on this part right here. Just because I, I don't, this isn't a, no, everyone's doing a great job, but there's not a shouting party. This is, this is going to be important. Okay. Okay. Just here, just use ears in this moment. Paul only calls it a sin when it's being practiced. Now, th this may be really controversial for some of you. You ready for this? And if you want to write me a letter, you want to leave the church, you want to meet with me personally, I'm all ears. Here it is. You should not feel guilt or shame from simply experiencing same-sex attraction. It's only when it turns, right? Only when it turns to lust. And also becomes a practice and it's a sin. Second, homosexual acts, practices, no matter the context, according to scripture, are a sin against God. This means there's no exceptions, even in a very, if you're, if you're, commi if you're a committed monogamous relationship, according to scripture, any form of homosexual practice is a sin. So, listen, here we go. If God's will for our lives is holy sexuality and not heterosexuality or homosexuality, what does holy sexuality look like? And again, Yuan defines it simply as two paths. Are you ready? Path number one, chastity in singleness. In other words, faithfulness to God means remaining sexually abstinent in singleness. Path number two, fidelity in marriage. Fidelity in marriage. In other words, faithfulness to God means faithfulness to your spouse of the opposite sex, remaining faithfulness to a spouse of the opposite sex. This is what it looks like to honor God. Hear me out. This is what it looks like to trust God, right? Because remember, this isn't a behavior problem, y'all. 
Right? This isn't about your behavior or what you do. This is, this is about a trusting God. This is a doubt issue. I'm not quite sure. I trust that you know it's best for me. I'm not quite sure that I trust you. In fact, uh, I, I don't trust your people. I don't trust your church. I don't trust the men and women you place in my life. I don't trust how they've said things to me. And so really, this is, I don't trust. So this is not a behavior issue. This is a, this is a doubt issue, a trust issue. And so as a result, I'm not going to trust you because I've perceivably, maybe some of us have put our trust and our faith in these things and these people and these churches, and it has destroyed me. So now I'm going to trust myself because I've, I can't trust anybody else. And I understand, I understand, I understand, I get that, because I've been hurt too. I've been. So what does it look like to honor God, trust his word, and allow something that transcends sexual preference to to define you? Now, listen, before I conclude, um, I want to take a moment to rebuke the church. Give me permission to do that? Amen. When it comes to the LGBTQI community and the church, we have to repent. We have to prevent, repent before the Lord. We have to repent before our brothers and sisters in that community. And let me tell you why. I'm going to just give you five. We have to, uh, there's probably a million reasons we have to repent. Of. I'm going to give you five. Number one, are you ready? We must repent of our timidity and fear that has led us to be purposefully ambiguous and unclear about where we stand on these issues. What do I mean by that? You know, there are many in the LGBTQI community that are looking for faith, right? They, they want, they love, the, they love Jesus and, 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 and they've, they're looking for a way to, man, how can, I, how, can I, how can I be a part of a church? How can I be a part of a faith community? And how can I grow in following Jesus without feeling fear in this area or feeling manipulated in this area or, or judged in this area one way or another? Now, again, we would define that word judging a little different, but the, the, uh, the, what we're trying to say, how do I feel safe about this? I'm navigating through this tension. It feels impossible, right? There's some people some, in the community, LGBTQ community. They've attended churches often. They give money regularly. They even serve faithfully, only to find out much later that because they're gay, they cannot become members, get baptized, or hold meaningful leadership positions, right? Are you with me? You know, marketing strategies, amen, and campaign slogans like, you belong here. Right? We put that sign up, and I'm not saying don't put that sign up. <laughs> you belong here. You know, we're shaking these things. You belong here. Right? You're welcome here. Right? And like, those aren't, those aren't bad, right? But, but they can be extremely harmful and misleading to a church that remains purposefully vague. So somebody walks in and is a part and builds community and love and joy only to find out sometime later, well, this is where the church stands and there's this hard stop. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You were ambiguous. I feel lied to and manipulated. And the church says, well, we're ambiguous because we're fear and timidity, full of timidity. And after doing this study, it's something I rebuke myself. I plan to do with Inspire. And I know there's an appreciation for this. One of the best ways we can be hospitable is being clear. And up front, from the beginning, with where we stand, so that those who attend can decide 
They can decide, right, if this is the place for them before they immerse themselves into a community. On the other end of that, I do believe we, we serve a welcoming God. I do believe that, that we serve a God who embraces everyone because you are all dirty, dark sinners. Right? Thank God we don't walk in here inside out. I mean, how, 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 how cool would that be if God allowed that to happen? Maybe cool for him and not for us, right? Because some of you saints in the room, right? You know? You're a saint on the outside, but you're an ain't on the inside. And if we were to come here, you know, and can I just say this? And this might be, we were to come in here. There are some heterosexuals in this room that are practicing sex outside of marriage. And you're serving on teams, right? You're doing all these things in the, in the darkness secret. We have the audacity to pull out a sliver in someone's else eye, and our single's got a big plank, there are married couples, married men in here. I've shared with you my struggles with pornography, right? Struggling, fornicating, looking out of the women. We have the audacity in here just to act like we're good. We're good, and we're not, and we're not, and we are not. And a gospel, one thing a gospel-centered church does is it tells the truth. It's not ambiguous, but at the same time, it's truthful about everything. Because if we can't be truthful about everything, then we shouldn't be truthful about anything, which leads me to the next one. We have to repent for demonizing homosexuality as if it's like the worst category of sin in the world. Oh my gosh! As if it's the worst thing in the world. Are you hearing me? And, we, and then here's another thing we have to repent of, normalizing heterosexuality as if that's what makes you Christian. As if that's God's perfect will. Oh honey, God's will for you is to be hetero. That's not true. God's will is for you to be holy. 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 You know what? I've heard, I've heard Christian parents say, our gay son is not okay, but my fornicating son is cool, is good. What a big joke. Our gay son's not okay, and that's hurtful. It's hurtful. But our fornicating single son out there having sex and living his own life and not even married, well, he's good. Why don't you be like that? Wow, what a distortion of, of holiness. What a perversion of our faith. No wonder why nobody wants to come and believe Christ. Are you with me? Are you with me? And I get it. I'm going to come down hard. You know it. But, you know, it's not fair for one group to be in here feeling tension, feeling awkward, and it's all about them. So let's all feel the tension a little bit together, right? There are single adults in this room today and many across the American church that are heterosexual living sinful lives in their sexuality. Hey, look, repent, <laughs> repent, repent and believe the gospel. Repent, repent. Number three, are you ready? You guys give me a little extra time here. We must repent of our unbiblical misdiagnosis. Over the years, we've heard and adopted, really, and this is a, a secular philosophy, but we've adopted it like it's our own that would suggest that the root cause of homosexuality is something like absent father, like dominant mother, or some kind of like child abuse, like sexual abuse in your childhood, right? That's, I mean, haven't we heard that? Let's just be honest. We've heard it, we've said it, right? And again, remember I told you a little earlier, there's so much we don't know. 
when it comes to sexuality? Like, that's just not a fact. Now, there, are, there, are, there, are there circumstances that take place that can, can push us towards? Sure, but it's not, it's not a cause. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? This would suggest, if we believe that, are you ready for this? This would suggest that an imperfect childhood is the reason for same-sex attraction. And although there are, like I said, some correlation, there's not a causation. And as Christians, we should know that. This is actually more Freudian than it is Christian. As a Christian, what should we believe in? Ready? Sin is the problem, which means Christ is the answer, like everything else. When we misdiagnose, we give the wrong remedy. And for parents here today asking themselves, what did I do wrong? How could I have parented differently? Like if I only would have went to my child's soccer game, you know, seven more times. Like that's just nonsense. Please find relief in the fact that you could have been born perfect parent, but your children are still sinners and needed a savior, just like all of us. Right? And if you have a, can you rest in your heart knowing that, and this is something Christopher Yuan said, I thought was God was a perfect father, wasn't he? Look at his children. Look at all of us. Right? So if it's about your father or your mother, then, you know, we better look to God and say, well, there's a problem with you. There's a sin problem. There's a sin problem. There's a sin problem. Right? And we can't, the church walking around, well, you know, passing the blame or whatever. All of that is fear. And we're just doing too much. Doing too much. That's what the kids say these days. Right? I'm 38 now. I can say that. That's what kids say these days. Okay. All right. I'm doing too much now. It's just something for the parents. The primary goal of a Christian parent is not necessarily to produce godly children, but, but your main goal as a parent is to be a godly parent. Amen? How do you be a godly parent? Repent every time you sin in front of them. Repent. Practice repentance regularly. Number four. Are you ready for this? The church needs to repent of overemphasizing marriage and downplaying singleness. I need to repent. I mean, I, I said this several months ago. We're a boo-producing church, right? And I get it. There's some fun and joy. And some of us have meant because we've come to the same church. And I kind of like, like little trophies. Like, look, it's because they inspire y'all together, right? <laughs> but we have to be careful that our words and our language and our actions don't cast a shadow over singleness as if it's a disease. Yeah. If it's a sort, you're some sort of secondary human, don't worry. You'll get married. You'll be fine. Uh-uh. And if, we're, if we were inside out in here, some of y'all that married would be like, oh, mar- marriage is not the magic wand. And if people are being honest, there's some of you married here look at single people like, oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I'm just being, not you, baby, but. Okay, back to this point. Back to this point. I don't want to get lost. I don't want, this isn't a comedy show. I, I don't want to get lost here. Um, we've made an idol out of sexual partnerships. Our culture has. The church has made an idol of marriage, and everyone else has made an idol out of sex. But both of us have made idols, and we've decided to worship something other than the creator. You with me? Right? The culture has idolized sex as if sex is the extreme fulfillment, extreme place of of pleasure. That's the place of my true satisfaction. And the church has, has idolized marriage. Why? Because the church doesn't just want sex too. 
You want it just as bad as the culture. Are you with me? There's an entire generation who've been led to believe that single is some kind of like bad luck or like seasonal time of punishment. Our culture has taught us that a life without sex is a life not worth living. Yet how can we agree with this when as followers of Christ we worship and long for a savior who is single? You hear that? We worship and long to be like a savior who is single. The most satisfied, the most full of purpose individual that's ever walked this place was Jesus Christ. Fully satisfied, fully full of meaning, fully full of purpose. If sex was inherent to who we are, then we're saying Jesus was not human. And here's another crazy thing. Are you ready? Here's another crazy thing is when we go to the new Jerusalem in heaven, we're going to be single. That's scripture. When they came to test Jesus, they looked at Jesus and they said, well, let's say you married 10 people. Who are you going to have in heaven? Jesus like, no, we won't be given into marriage in heaven. There won't be sex in heaven. Somebody like, well, I'm not going. Well, you made it an idol. <laughs> and no wonder the TV, the music, everything is a sexually generated section. And I want you to know is we get so mad at Christianity, but this is Freudian objectifying somebody's greater than their sexual preference greater than a nice pair do you hear me it's not just about what they look like or how they can be in bed and all of these other things it's greater than that but we are so in debt like we're so like enamored by it because it's been pumped into our it's been pumped into us and nobody everyone's to blame but we look at a savior who walked this earth most fulfilled most satisfied most full of meaning never had sex and never was married and we realize that the end game for all christianity is going to be in the new jerusalem single so singles in this room we're all going to end up back where you're at in fact, singles in this room, just like married couples, right? Scripture tells us married couples, and I don't want to get down on marriage too much, right? Married couples, you reflect the gospel, the church, and Jesus. It's beautiful. But singles, you reflect New Jerusalem. You're a prophetic witness to everyone that I can be satisfied in Christ. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. I can be satisfied in Christ and not in a man and not in a woman. I can find my meaning in Christ, not in a man and not in a woman. And I can be, I can find fulfillment in Christ. I can. Not a man, not a woman. And then one day when I get to heaven, we're all going to be like me. And I was a prophetic sign of what to come. You might ask, why is there no sex? And why is there no marriage in heaven? Because when we get in heaven, the pleasure and the relational intimacy we'll experience will transcend sex and transcend marriage. Those, those will all pale in comparison. There'll be little shadows of what we're going to experience in heaven. They're just signs pointing. So single adults, and it's okay. You have a desire to get married. That's fine. But please do not despise your singleness. The church needs to do a better job, are you ready for this, of making the possibility of long-term singleness not just viable but celebrated. Someone might ask, how can you deny me love? How, how, why does God deny me love? Well, I, I would just tell you, well, first of all, Jesus was the most loved. He wasn't, he wasn't, 
he wasn't married. But I would also say, you can be loved without having sexual intimacy with somebody. You could feel love. And you have in your life. You love people in your life without sexual intimacy. But one thing that's missing is sex, and I get it. There's a, there's a, there's a component there that's important. But I want you to think about this. There's a fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy, at least for Christians. And if you're not a Christian, at least you're hearing how we think. And then you can leave and make judgment how you want, because we all, we all make judgment, right? Every side's judging right now. We're all doing it. But at least you can understand where this is coming from, and then you can make your determination of where you feel like the Lord is leading you. And this might also be controversial, because I, I want to love you with truth, but there are affirming churches out there. Churches that affirm the homosexuality. And, and so th- this is a matter of you and your heart determining, man, what, what, who, who am I going to believe? What am I going to trust? I want you to know that long-term singleness is viable, but it's celebrated, and it's not a curse. And we need to repent as a church for making it look like marriage is so important that you need to be married to be satisfied, fulfilled. Because brother, we have reality, we have brothers and sisters in here. It doesn't matter what your sexuality is, where God, God is gonna, you're gonna be single. You're like, well, I'm not called to that. It's not a gift that I want. But the thing about gifts, God gives them, you don't decide. And it's not for you to know, but I want you to know that inspired church, and this is hard, and this is my heart, and I need to finish. This is hard, and this is my heart, but I don't wanna be a church where someone feels left out and lost and because they don't have marriage relationships, they somehow can't feel fulfilled. I've been praying about this personally, something that my wife and I are yet to talk about, but what does hospitality look like in my house? What does that look like? So we could experience joy and communion together that goes beyond sexual intimacy with others. Okay. Number five, so I'm gonna say this quickly. Some churches need to repent of affirming the homosexual lifestyle. Listen, unconditional love is not the same as unconditional approval. I can still love you and be great friends with you, and we disagree in this area. I can completely love you and still utterly disagree. In fact, as a Christian, I believe the church and its pastors love you the most when they're telling you the truth in love, or at least the truth they believe they found through the word in love. Not hiding it, being ambiguous, being shy, being quiet, trying to do that. You know, the old, like, the old, you know, I don't know what it's called. I can't even get it in my head right now, but... You know, he's just like your car salesman, right? Hey, you know, it's all good over here. Oh, and then you got to do this right here, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like, no, like. Now, as we conclude, and I'm concluding, I promise. (laughs) This has been a deeply heavy message. No doubt there might be people that walk out of here and say, I just don't agree with you. I understand. But as we conclude, my prayer is that the gospel will calm your anxiety right now. Amen? I pray that the gospel will ease any defenses, and I believe that the gospel Um, will ultimately bring you to Jesus. And so I want to conclude with the gospel. Here it is. And this is so important. Let me, before I get to the gospel, let me just explain this. If you haven't first placed your faith in Jesus, like if you haven't seen the beauty of who he is, right? Like if you haven't seen his beauty, if you haven't put your faith in him, if, if you haven't comprehended fully the, the, uh, the immensity of what he's done, then all of this is just empty religion. All of this is behavior change. Like if you haven't comprehended his beauty, 
then all of this is just noise. Empty religion, no matter how strictly you try and obey it, will never bring you back to God. It'll only twist you up. Empty religion, morality, has no power to move you. It's not beautiful. Empty religion is disgusting. It harms, it hurts, it destroys. It can't compel you. It can't inflame you with passion. It has no power to compel you. He has no power. Empty religion cannot invigorate you with passion. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do this. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why if you don't know Jesus today, your first step is not to leave this place and become more moral. Your first step is say, Jesus, I trust you more than I trust myself. You see, once you've loved Jesus, once you trust Jesus, it's only then do you even have the capacity to repent of any sin and obey him. But if it's not starting from a place of love and trust, the capacity's not there. I'm going to invite, we're going to pray quickly. So what is the gospel? Here it is, and then I'm praying and we're finished. Thank you again for staying a little extra today. I totally appreciate it. Make sure you high-five our kids' ministry leaders. Amen. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. Most important thing I'll say the whole day. Here it is. Ready? The gospel tells us this. All of us were made in the image of God, and we were called to be with him as children. Yet all of us rejected him. We rebelled against his words, and we put our trust in other things. As a result, sin separated us from our true source of life. Sin separated us from our true source of life. And it left behind a mess of death, disease, and decay. And there we were in a pit, unable to save ourselves. But God himself, in Christ, put on flesh stepped down into our reality, was tempted in every way we were tempted, yet knew no sin and substituted himself on our behalf. And he led the perfectly pure life that you and I could never leave. Forget about it. And he died the criminal's death that we all deserve, no matter where you find yourself in this spectrum. But the good news, the gospel is he did not stay dead. He resurrected. Now, 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 if you and I, if you and I would put our faith in Jesus, his righteousness would become our righteousness. And we're not only forgiven, but we're restored back into relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, we are being led on a journey of sanctification in which all of us are constantly repenting and believing the gospel. But look, if this doesn't compel you, or if you don't believe this, if that gospel isn't beautiful to you, then no wonder you'll never feel compelled to trust God at his word. And I wanna finish with this. If you can see him as savior, you can trust him as Lord. Amen? If you can see him as Savior, you can trust him as Lord. 
And so, like I said this morning, this isn't about a behavior. This is deeper than that. This is about a heart that is wrestling with, do I trust God or do I trust my feelings? And that's the wrestle, guys. And I can't give you this answer. I'm not here to force you to make this answer. I'm just simply here to pray over you. And as a man who has been in failure, as a man who knows what sexual immorality looks like, as a man who struggled with pornography, as a man even today that has to bounce these eyes, as a man that in my mind has fornicated, as a man standing before you right now that battles everything you battle, there's so many things that I have to do. But scripture tells me if anyone desires to follow him, guess what I have to do? Personally, for me, I must deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow him. I must say, even though I want to trust my instincts, I'm going to do everything I can to trust God, and I may fail, and I will fail, and I do fail, but his gospel has compelled me, and because it's compelled me, I repent, and I believe. That's your decision. Finish with this in prayer. I pray to the Lord, God, I just want to be gracious and clear. I want the Holy Spirit to do the rest. I can't do the rest. I can't. I can't, and when I've done that in the past, I've messed it all up. I just want to be clear, and I want to be gracious, and I want to let you decide. You determine. You wrestle. Because I wrestle with my stuff. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I have to admit that I have to trust you with your word. As a pastor, I have to trust you. The fear, not wanting to lose friendships, not wanting the people to think that we don't love them, trust your word and if anything else my prayer is everyone would leave this place and that this church and the community around it would be impacted by your gospel that your gospel would call us all to truth finally I, I just I just pray if there's someone that maybe knows you or doesn't know you or walked away from whatever whatever that we could categorize it all but I just somebody who needs to be compelled by the beauty of your gospel I just pray that they would take a look again that your will would be done because we cannot do anything in our own power otherwise we'll destroy people and I already have, we have if we're being honest so Lord we love you I pray a blessing on everyone here everyone was made in the image of God everyone here deserves dignity and respect and I pray that at the very least all of us in here would give love, dignity and respect to everyone no matter what they decide and may we witness to the glory of Jesus Christ until the day he comes or the day we die. May we be faithful to his word. And may we love one another. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.